This sermon on Psalm 1 was preached by guest speaker Lynn Baird on November 6, 2022 at Sovereign Grace Church. I am using Derek's, well, one of Derek's Bibles. I took it off his shelf because I left home today and, for, and didn't put my briefcase or my backpack into the car. So my Bible and all my notes are in Gilbert, Arizona. Yeah, yuck it up. It's <laughs> That's easy for you to laugh, but I've still got to bring this message. So the other thing that was in my backpack were my glasses. <laughs> so anyway, so um, we'll, we'll, we'll be just fine, I trust. Uh, actually, I get a little excited whenever something like this happens. I've never done this before. I've had, I've had some moments in the Philippines where I've been asked to speak and had to just kind of go off the cuff, but I've never forgotten my notes and been without. So here we go. Maybe that has something to do with being 70 years old and retired and an old man. So, but anyway, I, I trust that God will say what He wants to say, and that I am confident of because we serve a sovereign God who loves you and cares about you, and He wants you to know that today, and I trust you will get that as we go through this. So we're reading in the book of Psalms. This is a very familiar text. Uh, nothing about this text would, would be, um, that, that looks like it's, uh, whoo, there you go, okay. Yeah, <laughs> that, um, this is a very familiar text. You're all very familiar with it. And uh, so I'm, I realize that I'm not saying anything that's going to be new today, very little that's new today. So this is not going to be a, as much an informational message as I trust it will be motivational message to stir something in your hearts that comes out of this passage. So let's read it together. And you can just follow along with me in your scriptures there. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He, this man who delights in God's word, is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteousness. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Pray with me. Lord, this is a familiar scripture passage to all of us, and yet, again, we are continually amazed at how you take your word, refresh it to our hearts, open new things from your word. And so we pray today that you will give us eyes to see, ears to hear, what you're saying to us today. Be glorified in this time. Help me, Lord. Uh, in particular, you know my weakness right now in this moment, but I trust that you will say what you 
want to say. And I trust you for that and for the hearts and lives of these people to be stirred in Jesus' name. Amen. Josh Feuerstein was born as a trick baby. Trick baby is a baby that's born of a prostitute. He was born with, he was born disabled. He was born without a pancreas. He was weak, sickly. Not only that, he was raised in this same place where his prostitute mother was with her madam. He was sexually abused growing up. And by the age of 10, he just wanted to die. But there was a woman at this school that he was somehow was able to go to. And this woman had a Gideon Bible. And she began sharing the gospel with him. And she told him that God uses most significantly those who are most who are wounded most deeply. And she began to share the gospel and the truth of the scripture with him. He eventually went through school. He had a significant stutter that he overcame. He became valedictorian of his graduating class. He went on to become a pastor. His entire family got saved and came to know Jesus. This, this is the power of the word that we hold on to. What you have in your hands is the word that has such power that it radically can change people's lives simply by hearing the message that's in this word. It is powerful. And in this passage, there's some things that I want us to see because this passage is all about the word, the word of God. In fact, Spurgeon points out that this is like a mini outline for the whole of the Psalms. It's like the Psalm of the Psalms because it really just lays the foundation for the entire book of Psalms. And that comes to a peak in chapter 119 where you see the word is just, it's like the Himalayas. It's just the word is, is everywhere and it fills it all. This is the word of God that he has given to us. This word is powerful. It works powerfully. And there's four things in this passage I want us to see today. First of all, that the believer, the man or woman of God, loves God's word, is a student of God's word, is fruitful and prosperous because of God's word, and is known by the Lord. So let's just look at these thing, four things briefly today. Uh, probably going to be briefer than I originally <laughs> intended. But let's just look at this. It says, starts with the word blessed. In the Greek, that is a plural. It means actually blessings. And in the Greek, uh, excuse me, in the Greek, in the Hebrew, it means blessings. But also, in some ways, the best translation is actually the word happiness or happy. Happy is the man. Happy is the believer who loves God's Word. This is a, a, the blessing that we all have. But interestingly enough, 
starting like that, blessed is the man, he immediately starts to go into a negative. He starts to say, blessed is the man who does not walk. And then he uses three terms, who does not walk, who does not stand, and who does not sit. Three phrases, and it's kind of like a downward spiral. If you look at it, you think it feels like a downward spiral. He's like saying, blessed is the man who does not walk with the ungodly, the wicked, who does not sit with them, and does not, or excuse me, does not stand with him, and then he doesn't sit with the scoffers. It's like he's saying, if you walk with these people, if you walk with the wicked, you're going to, you're going to become like them in their, in, in, in their life. If you sit with them, you're going to be imbibing in their lifestyle. And if you uh, stand with them, I mean, and then if you sit with them, it's like you're taking up their life. He's, he's cautioning us, be careful, don't be around these people. But then in the, in the verse, the, the, the very second verse, he says this, but, simple little word, but. That word indicates a transition. He is now going somewhere else. He's saying, so don't do this, but do this. So what is he telling us to do? He's saying, but, his delight is in the word of the Lord, is in the law of God. This is what he is to love. Now, what he's basically telling you to do is he's he's saying basically put off one thing and then put on another thing. So this this is typical of Scripture. This is happens all through the Old and New Testament. You're always, there's always this don't do this, but do this. So put off, and in Ephesians 4, 22, you see this is Basically, uh, what he says there is put off the old man, but then he says put on the new man, which is being created in righteousness. So there's this principle of put off and put on. But how many of you know that it's not easy to put off something if you're not putting on something? You know what I mean? If you, you could say, I'm going to put this off, but if you're not actively putting something else on, you're in trouble. You're going to have a tough time. Let me, let me illustrate. Let's do this. Think of a red-faced monkey. Okay, red-faced monkey. So this monkey has a bright red face. Red. Think of it. Get it in your mind. Bright red-faced monkey. Okay, now, stop thinking about that bright red-faced monkey. Don't think about that red face. Stop thinking about all that red. Stop right now. Have you been able to do that? How would you do that? Well, it's simple. You think of a yellow hippopotamus. <laughs> the only way, you know, if, as I'm doing that, you're going red, 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 red. But if you're sitting there thinking about it, you just start, you just let your mind go to a pink elephant or a yellow hippopotamus. And suddenly you're able to, see, it's the same principle here. He's saying, put off walking with the wise, but here's what you've got to put on. You've got to put on a passionate love for God's Word. You've got to put on a passionate desire to be there, to see, to hear the Word of God. Now, why is the Word of God so important? Why is this Scripture... Now, I know you know the... You know the it's like I said before. There's nothing new here. I'm not giving you anything new. So, 
you, you know, in, and in your mind, you think, yeah, this, this word's powerful. This word's good. I believe that. It changed my life. And, but think about this. Let me ask you, what were the first words written in the Bible? First words written in the Bible. Well, if you were thinking in the beginning, you were wrong. They were not the first words written in the Bible. Exodus 30 and Deuteronomy 6 tell us that Moses, in fact, this is the passage of Scripture that brought us together as, as, a, as a couple. I won't go into that one, but uh, tell us that Moses on the mountain stood there and watched as God's finger wrote the Ten Commandments. This is before Moses was, Moses wrote the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. Moses wrote them, but that's long after this when God gave him that. At this moment, the hand of God is writing Scripture. Now, we all believe Scripture's we take this seriously, but folks, think of that. It's written by the very finger of God in its very beginning stages. This is a powerful book. This is not just a powerful book. This is the book. This is God's story. Now, consider also that not only that, but consider this, that in John chapter 1, Jesus said, he became flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Think of it. The Word itself becoming flesh. It is the Word of God is now encapsulated in a human being, Jesus Christ himself. And you have the privilege of having this Word on your shelf, in your briefcase, in your purse, in, in your home, you probably have multiple Bibles at home. You have probably have multiple translations at home. How precious is that to have that word? The man, the woman of God, loves God's word. Delights, that's the word he uses. It just means to love passionately with ardor. So this is the word of God, and we're to be uh, we're to be fellowshipping around this word, fellowshipping together in your, what do you call them here, community groups, care groups, community groups, okay, I can never keep track of who calls it what, it's care groups in Phoenix, whatever. What it is, is in those groups, you are fellowshipping, not just with each other, you are fellowshipping around the word of God. You are corporately loving the word of God, and you are receiving from each other this love for the word. But it goes further than that. Number two, the second thing we see is that the man of God, the woman of God, is a student of God's Word. So if you love it, you're going to study it. You're going to be a student of God's Word. A student of God's Word comes underneath. A, what does a student do? Okay, a student goes to school and comes under somebody under a textbook, under a teacher to learn something. So as a student of God's Word, you are coming to God's Word to humble yourself under this Word. Jesus said, no man is, nobody, no student is greater than his teacher. You're under this Word of God. This Word of God is now your teacher. And the word student, I get from this passage where he says, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he 
meditates. In other words, he is becoming a student. He is listening to, he's meditating on, he's being stirred by this word in his own heart. We come putting down our pride, we come underneath, and we become students of God's word. We come, as it were, as 1 Peter 5 says, we come under the mighty hand of God. This same hand that wrote this, that began this whole process, we are now coming under the mighty hand of God so that he might lift us up at the proper time. God uses his word to build and lift us up. So we're students under the word of God. And the beauty of the word of God is when you come to the word of God like that and you are being humbled yourself by the word of God. We all bring pride to everything we do, don't we? I mean, at least if you're like me, you bring pride to everything you do. Everything, at least I find in my life, is filtered through some level of pride and arrogance that I don't even see or understand is there most of the time. But when you come to the Word of God, the Word of God chips away at that pride. And you humble yourself under God's mighty hand. So what does it mean to be a student of God's Word? Well, again, this is not something complicated or difficult. It's something very simple. It just it means that you do a few things when it comes to the Word of God. First of all, you take time. You take time to understand God's Word. So you set aside time. I remember in college trying my best. To, I was leading a band uh, and you going to rehearsals. I was married. I had a child one year after we were married. Uh, I was working a job and getting my degree, all of this all at the same time. And, it, and we were traveling with the band all over the Southwest. It's like there was not a lot of time, and I was just becoming frustrated. And so I said, okay, I'm going to set a time. So I said, uh, said, I'll do it at night when everybody's at bed. Okay, so I do that, but then I give, end up giving the Lord a Z offering. So it's not, it's not working, Okay. <laughs> So then I say, okay, I get up early in the morning. So I get up early in the morning. But, yet, but to, to beat a baby awake, you have to be up like 5.30 in the morning. If you want to get some time with the Lord, you've got to set some time. You've got to think through, how is this going to work in my life? And you can't just, and you, know, you know how people, I'm going to be hard on you this morning if you don't mind, okay? But you ever heard people say, yeah, you've got to, you need to be in God's Word. So, hey, just set aside five minutes. You've, you've heard that one, right? Oh, just make it simple. Just, just start with five minutes. And, and there's a way in which I agree with that, okay? But, you know, I think if, if you want to be serious about God's Word, you better set aside some serious time. There ought to be, and, and you go back and you go through history and you read the accounts of, of the great men and women of God, and they're spending hours a day in God's Word. So I challenge you, not with five minutes, I challenge you with way beyond that because you love God's Word, because you are a student of God's Word, and we'll see some of the benefits and fruits of that. Secondly is focus. So time, make sure you set aside time. Make sure it's focused. First uh, Corinthians 10, I think it's Second uh, Corinthians, excuse me, 3, verse 10, I think says, uh, that we take our thoughts captive into obedience to Christ. So this is, this is a focus where you, when you're with the Lord, just put aside, get aside, get away from all the distractions, 
Do your best. I know that's not easy, but do your best to put aside distractions and focus on God's Word. Don't let it become, you know, don't keep your, your, your phone <laughs> open when you're there. Don't, if you're, if you got your iPad and right there on your iPad is, is your Facebook, I mean, you know, whatever you have to do, don't get distracted. Make this time a focus time. Thirdly, have a plan. What's your plan? This is simple. Just think through what it is you're going to do. How are you going to do it? So you got a time early in the morning, let's say. It doesn't have to be that whenever it works for you. But you set this time. You're focused. Now what's your plan? How are you going to do this? How are you going to do it? So I would just uh, have a, 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 a full few pages that I kept taking notes, and I would use that to, uh, and developed a strategy for how I'm going to pray, how I'm going to read God's Word. One of the things I've done is reading through the Bible every year. So I've done that for decades now. I, I just read through the Bible every year. Now, that's not the only way to do it. There's other good ways to do it. You can have a plan where you're reading through a book of the Bible, and you take one book in a month, and you just read the same book over and over every day. You may think, oh, man, that, that sounds boring or that's crazy, but you'll be shocked at how much starts coming off those pages as you read it over and over. Have a plan. What are you going to do? Martin Luther read the Bible through twice in a year. That was his part of his plan. How about memory? How about a part of your plan being memorizing the Word of God? Looking for, not just for key scriptures, you know, where you pull them out like the, the prayer card box where you pull out you, all, all the nice scripture, not, not, not that, just as you're reading in your regular reading and passages come out to you. Uh, I just remember when my wife and I were reading at one point and Psalm 103 kind of jumped out to both of us at the same time. God's benefit package. It's like, and it was powerful. So it's like, and we memorized it together. Get a memory partner someone that you can agree with. I did that once with the book of Proverbs. Me and a friend decided we're going to memorize the book of Proverbs. And so we, we went through the book of Proverbs one chapter a month. We memorized it, went through the entire book, 31 book chapters of Proverbs, memorized it all. It was like, that was so helpful and encouraging. Now, if you ask me today, can I quote you the book of Proverbs? No. <laughs> Even back then, within probably a year or two, there's no way I could quote it, but I'll tell you what did happen. Seeds sown. And now, when I'm studying or reading or talking with people, these things just pop up. They just come up constantly. So that's what it means to do that. Studying God's Word. Letting it come into your soul. Letting it dig deeply into your heart. Um, meditate. The word meditate means to, like a cow that chews the cud, this is probably a terrible example, but you know, they, they keep chewing and then they regurgitate it and chew it again and keep doing that over and over until every ounce of sustenance has been sucked out of that food. That's how, that's what the word meditate means. Uh, St. Augustine said it this way. He said, it's like the chattering of birds where they're just up in a tree. We have this bush out in our backyard. It's a big, uh, what do you call it, bougainvillea, big thing. It's all leafy. It's green. It's got bright, 
red flowers all over it. In the summertime, these birds come in there, and they're just, they're, I've seen it because when, when, when something will startle them, dozens of birds will fly out of this thing. But as I'm sitting on the back patio, I can hear these, they're just chattering. They're just going crazy, you know, just talking or whatever they're doing with each other. They're chattering. That's, that's what St. Augustine was saying. That's what this word is like. It's, it's like they're, they're chattering. The Word of God needs to chatter in your mind. As you're reading the Word of God, it just needs to be chattering, and, and some word sticks out in your mind, or some verse in particular grabs your mind, and you just, it starts chattering, and it should, and you should encourage that as it's going along. Don't, don't say, oh, wait a minute, oh, man, I got to, no, let it chatter. But see, the beauty of that is, as you go to work or wherever you go, the Word just goes with you. And it's chattering along in your mind. And you're in a circumstance and something's happening and you're looking at it and you're seeing something happen and you feel the words just chattering in your mind and you're discerning something about the situation. That's what, that's what Solomon did when it says, I was out walking in the, in the streets and I passed by the, the field of the sluggard. And the sluggard, uh, basically, he looked at it all and the field is in disarray and he says, a little slumber... A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and your life is wasted. It's just, it's just Solomon. He's chattering. He's taking what he's seeing all day long, and the Word of God is affecting his mind and his heart. That's what we need to be doing with the Word of God, meditating, letting it chatter in our minds and in our hearts. So that's what a student does, taking the Word of God Seriously, that's, that's all we're saying. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, as 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy 16 says, 3.16, taking the Word of God seriously. But thirdly, we see so that the Word of God, the, the man or woman of God loves God's Word. He's a student of God's Word, but she is also fruitful and prosperous. Number three, they're fruitful and prosperous. Verse three said that's its way. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in due season. And whatever he does prospers. The man or woman of God who makes this word a part of his life is fruitful and prosperous. Now notice the word that he uses there, planted. Okay, this is an encouraging word. Can, uh, have you ever had a rose bush plant itself in your backyard? Doesn't happen, does it? We have a garden. My wife loves her little garden, and we uh, bought this house last year, moved in, and it had this beautiful little spot that's just built for a garden, and she just loves it, makes it, has made it her own little kingdom. And, but the funny thing is, is that nothing plants itself. She has to go to the store and buy it and take it out there and plant it, and then she has to nurture it and keep it going and water it and tenderly care for it for, in order for it to grow. Well, the good news is you have been planted. That's what he's telling us here. It wasn't your doing. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today and you were loving God's Word, it's because you were planted. Somebody took you and opened your heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ and planted you so that you could prosper, so that you could bring forth fruit. It's not our doing, is it? 
My, my wife used to say, you know, back a long time ago, I thought I came to Jesus. I thought I found Jesus. And then she realized, some years later, she realized, wait a minute, I didn't find Jesus. <laughs> this was him. John 6 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Do you realize that if you're sitting here today listening to this message with faith, it's because God planted you. It's because God chose to open your heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've been planted in order to be fruitful and prosperous. Now, there's two pictures that the psalmist gives us here. Two pictures that, that I think are, are very helpful. This is the first is that they're planted by streams or rivers of water. Notice that's plural. It's even in your text. It's not hidden there. It's plural. You're planted by rivers of water. There's water everywhere. Your roots can go deep, and that's what the Word of God is like, rivers that keep you sustained, keep you strong, keep you whole. Now, interestingly enough, oftentimes we can come into some pretty dry seasons, can't we? And we can question, Lord, where are the rivers right now? <laughs> I need those rivers, Father. The Word of God is my river. Sometimes the Word of God seems to read like the newspaper. Well, you, you don't even have newspapers anymore, do you? Hardly ever. Well, anyway, you get, you get the drift. You've been around long enough to know. And sometimes it's just not all quite as, as stirring as you would like it to be. In the, but the Bible says you are planted by rivers. I look at this a lot like rivers in Arizona. So we're driving up here. You know, you're smiling already. You're dry, I'm driving up here, and we pass this thing. The sign says, Gila River. And you go over the river, and there's no water anywhere. But if you pay close attention, you will notice that there are trees and bushes lining that river. What's going on there? Well, one time I was up near Wickenburg, and there's a river up there that is called the Hacienda River. And we drove into this park. I think it was with the kids. And we drove into this park by the river and walked out. And sure enough, there's this water flowing. And we get the kids out there and we're jumping around the river. And just, we just had a fun time. We get in, we head, head back towards Phoenix. And I'm noticing the river follows the road a little ways. And a ways further up, I notice that there is no water in the river. The river is gone. Where did the river go? Well, anybody that's a, uh, that works with water or hydrologist will just tell you that that river just went underground. The water is just now gone under, and it's still there. There's still plenty of it down there. It's just now not noticeable to the human eye. But it's watering everything that's along there. That's sometimes what it's like with us. The rivers may not seem like it's there, but the reality is it's there. And sometimes the water down there is even more pure than the water on the surface because it's being filtered through sand and through soil. And it's more, even more pure than it is on the surface. And this is bringing forth life and fruit all along the banks. 
Water's there. You just don't notice it being there. And that's what it's like for us sometimes. But that's but what we put our faith in, we don't live by sight. We live by faith, don't we? We don't live by sight. We don't say, well, I don't feel it, so it must not be happening. No, we say, it doesn't matter whether I feel it or not. The Lord told me I'm planted by rivers, and I believe it's there, and it is bringing sustenance to my soul. That's the way the Word of God is. Now, if you uproot yourself from the river, (laughs) that might be a totally different thing. I recommend not doing that. So the river's there, the water's there, and it's keeping us alive. But there's also another picture here that we can see. And the psalmist says, with the wicked it is not so. Actually in the Septuagint, if you, that's the Greek um, version of the Old Testament. In the Septuagint, it actually makes that not so the wicked, not so. In other words, it's emphatic. Absolutely not the wicked. Now, though by wicked, he's simply talking about unbelievers, people who do not acknowledge the Lord Jesus or his plan for their life. And so the, the unbeliever is not getting that sustenance. He says in this passage, it's, he's, they're like the chaff being blown about by the wind. And so this wind just blows it around. And it's like, let me give you another Arizona illustration. You know what tumbleweeds are. If you lived here for more than a week in the summer, you know what a tumbleweed is. It's a big weed, dry weed, that, ha- that is, grows. When it grows, it's nice and green. But it grows quickly, and it has very shallow roots. And as soon as it gets very quickly grown, it's can be, I mean, I've seen tumbleweeds as big as a small car. It can be a big thing. And, and then its roots are shallow and a big wind comes along and, the, you know, that dust storm blows in from the, from the east and tumbleweeds, they're just rolling down the street. I've, have you ever run over one? If you've ever run over one, it's interesting. This great big thing rolling into your purview and you hit it and what happens to it? It if you were to crush that thing, that giant tumbleweed would be nothing more than a little pile of sticks. That's all it is. And that's what he's telling us the wicked are, those that are unbelievers, those who don't put their trust in the Word of God, that don't look to the Word of God for their life, for their resource. This is what we're not to be as believers. We're to be quite different. We're to be planted as trees by the river. This is the person who neglects the Word of God. Mostly he's talking about the wicked, unbelievers. But let me tell you something, believer. Don't be deceived. If you do not make the Word of God a priority, if you are not, what would happen to you if you stopped eating? Well, eventually you die, right? Well, that's what it is with the Word of God. If you stop, you're going to become like that tumbleweed. Because originally, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, he said that people, even in the church, can be blown about by every wind of doctrine. Perfect example. Just blown about like a tumbleweed, like chaff in the wind. Why? Because they're not rooted in the Word of God. The Word of God is not their, their delight and their hope. This is what we all were before Christ, alienated 
enemies of God, without hope, Paul said, and without God in the world. That's who we are without Christ. That's what it's like. We're sinners, separated, enemies of God. Not just, God's not just neutral. He's opposed to. We are enemies outside of Christ. That's an important thing to understand about this, I think, this passage is that this tumbleweed, this chaff, that's all it is. It's like nothing. It's a pile of sticks. And that's all of us outside of Christ. But finally, fourthly, and this is so helpful and so encouraging to see in the last verse, the wicked are like chaff being blown away, but the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The Lord knows you. The word knows there is is to be acquainted with, to have a knowledge of, to be intimate with. It's a rich word that God is using in Scripture to describe His demeanor towards you who are students of, believers, students of the Word of God, who have put your faith in Him. He knows your way. Is that encouraging? See, I, I could have, I didn't know I'd left my briefcase until, or my, my backpack until the moment we pulled up into the parking lot, started to open the door, and it, it just hit me right then. She'll tell you. I just said, oh my, I left my briefcase at the house. This is not good. But you know what my very next thought was? Whatever. The Lord knows. The Lord knows what he's doing. He's got a plan. He's got things he wants to accomplish in people's hearts. He doesn't need me to do that. He needs one thing. He needs the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Those, 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 that's his plan. <laughs> the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. See, why does he know us? The cross reveals the degree to which God would go to know us. Think about this. Jesus said, or, or John said of Jesus in John chapter 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The incarnation tells us something about God. It tells us that He wanted to know His people. He wanted them to know that they are known by Him. And He did that, number one, as we saw in the point, first point, He did that by writing this Word and giving it to us. But that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough of a revelation for God because what God did next was mind-blowing, mind-shattering. God then says, I'm going to send my son, Jesus, and I'm going to send him into this world as a human being. Again, nothing new here, but ponder this. The Word of God becomes a baby. The Word of God grows and lives a perfect, sinless life. The Word of God teaches and preaches, blowing people's minds. Some people's minds are just being exploded with faith, and some people's minds are being exploded with hatred. 
And they don't want him to say these things. They don't like what he's saying. They hate what he's saying. What he's saying is digging into the roots of their heart. What he's saying is digging into that person that's an enemy of God, opposed to God, whose sin has separated them from God. That's all of us. But now the Word of God is a human, and he's come to live among us a perfect life. And then they hate him so much that they bring him to the cross. And this perfect Savior, this perfectly righteous human being, God in the flesh, begins to be our substitute in our place. He takes the trial. He takes, oh, I mean, folks, start before the trial. Can you imagine all of your friends betraying you? All of your friends betraying you. Not just, have, have you been betrayed before? I have. I've had some people that were, felt like this is a significant betrayal. Imagine Jesus betrayed by everyone before he even gets to the cross. What a, what a heartbreak. He stands in the garden of Gethsemane and he prays and he sweats drops of blood. It's, it's almost beyond belief, the pain. It says that he, he said, my soul is vexed to death. He was dying before he got to the cross, knowing what was going to be happening to him, knowing that he was going to take mocking and brutal betrayal. He was going to be taking beatings over the head. He was having a crown of thorns crushed onto his head with blood flowing all over his body. He was going to be beaten with a cat of nine tails that the scriptures say were lead-tipped, specifically say lead-tipped whips, ripping his flesh, causing untold pain to his body. Why? Why is all this happening? Because it pleased the Father. And here is the, the most ultimate challenge of the cross. Jesus saying, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, his Father, turns his back on him. The Word of God made flesh. God turns his back on him and brings him to that point where he dies. But he dies a substitutionary death. He is not dying for his own sins. He's dying for my sin. He's dying for that rebel, that enemy, me. He's dying for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, the living word of God, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life, everlasting life. How familiar is that? And yet, the reality of that needs to go off in our minds like an explosion, afresh today. He's done that for you. He laid down his life for you. The cross is the degree to which God would go to show his love for you, to show you that he knows you. You're here today because he chose you. He chose to open your eyes. Do you know the chances of that happening without the Holy Spirit opening your eyes to it? Well, the, the chances would be tantamount to a dead man, not Jesus, a dead man 
rising from the dead on his own accord. Because the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, we are dead in sin. You know the only reason that happens is because the Holy Spirit came to you and he allowed your eyes to be open. He brought open eyes to you and he put faith in your heart to believe this is truth. This is God's truth. This is the word of God. You were planted. Isn't that good news? It, it didn't depend upon you. It wasn't you living a better life. It's not you now living a better life. Even in your pursuit of God's Word, this is not going to save you more than you already are saved. Just by pursuing God's Word, it's not going to make you more loved by God nor known by God. Because you're already known by Him. But you're only known for one reason. Because God sent His Son to die. And He put faith in your heart to believe when you interact with the Word, now we know that it, that didn't stay there, did it? No, Jesus rose. We know that. I was just, that was actually my passage of reading this morning in my daily Bible reading, that going through the Bible. It was this exact passage. Mary went to the tomb, and the stone was gone. She's walking to the tomb with these other women, and they say to themselves, Who's going to roll that stone away? It's a huge stone. Who's going to do that? And they get there and they say, the stone's gone. It's already rolled away. And while they're standing there, an angel comes and says, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's alive. He lives now. This word of God, word made flesh, is alive. How much does he love us and want to know us? going through that whole process, rising from the dead so that we might have new life, so that we might be His, so that we might be known by Him. This is awesome. And when you understand this, you understand that when you interact with the Word of God, you're interacting with the living Son because Jesus was raised with a human body. Do you understand that? He wasn't raised with a ghostly body. He was raised with a human body. It says when he came into the room after he had been raised from the dead and the disciples saw him, he said, touch me. Look, feel, feel the nail holes. Feel my side. Thomas comes in, it says eight days later, he's unbelieving. He heard the story, but he doesn't believe it. And Jesus said, come in, Thomas. Put your hand in my side. Thomas doesn't even get to him. He says, my Lord and my God. This Jesus is now in a human body and he is seated at the right hand of God. He still has that body, folks. When he became human, he didn't become human and then go back and become just like he was. He stands and sits at the right hand of God as our substitute, as the man, Christ Jesus. And when you interact with the word of God, you're interacting with a man. Christ Jesus. This is him. This is the body <laughs> that we have with us right now. The true living word of God, which represents the true living Jesus, the son, the word of God made flesh. So what do we do with this? Well, my, my takeaway is simply this. We just need to be committed a fresh commitment 
to God's Word. If I can go ahead away from here today and just have one thing, it's that you would go home with a fresh commitment to God's Word, that it would, you would look at it differently as a result of what was written in Psalm chapter 1. Not what I said, but Psalm chapter 1. Blessed, blessed is that believer who meditates on my Word. How often? Day and night. Constantly. It's my constant companion. If one thing could happen, it would be a, re, a fresh commitment in your heart to loving God's Word, to meditating, to chattering. Let that Word chatter in your mind. But you know something? That Word's not going to chatter if it's not there in your mind. It ain't going to happen if it's not there. And if you ignore it, neglect it long enough, you'll end up being like that tumbleweed. You don't want to be that. You don't want to be blown about by every wind of doctrine. You want to know that I have got God's Word and it is abiding in my heart and it is, it is Jesus Himself speaking to me. It's God Himself writing His Word on our hearts, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians. So let's go from here with this commitment to let God write it in our hearts, to be committed to studying, being a, a student of God's Word. Let's, let's go from here with a commitment to chatter the Word of God among ourselves. When you talk, folks, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with talking about the Cardinals, although they're not worth talking about right now, or, the, or whoever you support, whatever team. There's nothing wrong with that. It's like, fine, we can talk about the Dodgers if you're me, or, you know, the, the Suns we all love. You know, we can talk about those things. There's nothing wrong with that. But what's, what's the chattering going on? See, this is where you get in your, com your community group and you're chattering the Word of God. What's the Lord shown you? What, did you? what did you see this morning in God's Word? How did that affect you? And you're building each other up. This is exactly what Paul said. Instead of being blown about by every wind of doctrine, he said we build each other up in the faith. We're constantly building each other up. How do you do that? Not just by saying, Tom, love you, buddy. You're great. Love you. Be encouraged. Nothing wrong with that. But how about Scripture? How about the very words of God to each other? Chattering what the Lord is doing in your hearts and in your lives.